and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Katie Halper. And I'm Aaron Maxey. How are you, Katie? How are you doing, Aaron? Oh, Jinx, I'm good. We're so in sync. You see, we have that chemistry from working together. We finish each other's sentences. Um, I'm good. How was your Memorial Day weekend? It was good. I went to Montreal for a extended bachelor party with some old friends. And uh, I used to live there. So it was cool to revisit amid the uh, debauchery times. of a bachelor party. Did you do anything that you can mention? One really cool thing you can do in Montreal is you can rent these bikes, kind of like they have city bike in New York City. I mean, every city has this now, but in Montreal, I'm not sure if this is if they have this everywhere, but some of the bikes are like electric bikes. So you can, if you want to go up like a like the mountain, there's like a Mont Royale, a mountain in Montreal, you can go up. These e-bikes give you like that extra juice. So we just, you know, like it was this was 18 guys and we spent a lot of time just cruising around the city. It was a great way to see the city in an environmentally friendly way and also getting some wow. exercise. So that was a lot of That's fun. That's great. Did you wear helmets? Uh, no comment. Wow. No comment. Yeah, no comment. I'm glad no comment. that the paparazzi wasn't there. Yeah. Because had what, they been you, there. What kind of a snitch question is that? Did you wear a helmet? I mean, I, mean I, I think you know what it is. It's a snitch. It's a public health question. We right. have with enormous, with great power comes great responsibility. No, you're right. I do always wear a helmet. And uh, it's very important. And this was a rare slip, but we didn't do anything crazy. This was very right. you know, tame, by, tame by. I mean, Aaron is huge in Canada. You think he's huge in the United States. Imagine mm -hmm. how huge he is in the country where he's from, <laughs> a country that has a lot less going on than the United oh, States. Yeah. So yes. I'm just grateful, deeply grateful that the Canadian paparazzi. Yeah, they somehow didn't there. notice me. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. They're going to be they're going to be devastated when they realize when they learn. I know. That and I was learn, in town yeah. and they miss me. And they miss it, yeah. But yeah. good for us because now we don't have to have a, an awkward PR moment where we, you know, do a special PSA uh, video where we ride around very in very clunky helmets, That's teaching right. kids. That's, That's the right. thing to do. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. How was your weekend? Yeah. I saw a very. I saw two very important movies. I saw Top Gun, Maverick. But you know what I had to do before I saw Top Gun Maverick? See the original Top Gun. The, the original <laughs> wow. Top Gun, which I hadn't seen. Had you seen it? I've seen the original, yes. So I watched that on Netflix. It really kind of sucks. Sure, like, yeah. It sucked. It wasn't good. I mean, maybe my expectations were too high. I have a feeling that part of it is that it was amazing cinematography for the time. And it doesn't stand up that much. It's kind of dated. But what I will say is that I'm glad I saw it because then I saw Top Gun Maverick in the theaters. I was masked in the theaters and I was able to enjoy it. I did. I like that movie. I like that. It was good. I was able to enjoy it. I think that much more having seen the first one. Everyone likes that movie. I've, Video, I've heard yeah. nothing but good reviews. Everyone yeah. says it's a fun picture. And is it as jingoistic as the, as the first movie? Yeah. What's interesting about both of them is they don't show or name the enemy. So we don't know who the enemy is. I mean, I'm pretty sure during the 80s, it was Russia. This time it could be, there are lots of different options. But yeah, their assignment is to uh, destroy a uh, an enemy uranium enrichment center. I'll tell you what's great about the first one. First of all, Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. It's great. It's just song. a great song. It's just a really yeah. exciting song. And, it, you know, I think that really helped sell the movie back in the, back when it came out. And then the volleyball scene. Yes, very homoerotic. Yeah, that's a, that's one of the you know best homoerotic scenes ever yeah. on film. I think the volleyball yeah. scene. Yeah, they didn't have any updated version of that, which is ah, too, bad. too bad. 
Yeah, that was not, that needed <laughs> to be updated. Yeah. Thank you for raising awareness about independent cinema. It's a hard time right now for the independent filmmakers like Tom Cruise and whoever you know was behind his uh, low budget Top Gun movie. So thank you for spreading yeah. the word about Top Gun Maverick, which now people I mean, can see. Yeah, without shows like Useful Idiots, you'd never hear about these below the radar yeah. films that are just trying to be seen by anyone mm -hmm. out there. So mm -hmm. now, now you know about it. So you're welcome. I mean, yes, we are your one-stop shop for pop really culture are. politics. So everyone do your part for independent cinema and go see Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, yeah, that great anti-war independent yeah. film. Yeah. So should we get into our four basic food groups? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. What do we got? We got Democrats suck, Republicans suck. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? And isn't that terrible? So you got the Dem suck, right, for this week? So this week for Democrats suck, we have uh, the top Democrat, Joe Biden, who is complaining top gun. that the people are not sufficiently appreciating how great his presidency is. And in fact, his approval ratings are at record lows for him. And he's blaming everybody but himself, including his own aides. And that's reported in a new article for, from NBC News called Inside a Biden White House Adrift. And this is some of what it says. Beyond policy, Biden is unhappy about a pattern that has developed inside the West Wing. He makes a clear and succinct statement only to have aides rush to explain that he actually meant something else. The so-called cleanup campaign, he has told advisors, undermines him and smothers the authenticity that fueled his rise. Worse, it feeds a Republican talking point that he's not fully in command. So, Katie, this is the problem. So basically, when Biden blurts out something crazy, like we're going to intervene militarily if China attacks Taiwan or we want regime change inside of Russia, it undermines his authenticity if his aides are scrambling to correct him and say that, no, that's not really what he meant. Yeah, it smothers it. He's being smothered. It's it's violent. It's actual violence. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is because obviously the guy has loose lips and he's not going to stop blurting stuff out. So maybe next time, whatever he says, they should just go with it. Yeah, like you know, if he says, for example, we're going to use nuclear weapons, I guess it's time to go with it because otherwise he's going to be smothered. Do you think he's upset that? Do you think he wants like wanted them not to walk back his regime change comments about Russia, about Putin, how we need to get rid of him for God's sake? It actually addresses that in the next paragraph. This is what it says. The issue came to a head when Biden ad-libbed during a speech in Poland that Russian President Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power. Within minutes, Biden's aides tried to walk back his comments, saying he hadn't called for Putin's removal and that U.S. policy was unchanged. Biden was furious that his remarks were being seen as unreliable, arguing that he speaks genuinely and reminding his staff that he's the one who is president. So does that mean Biden's actually coming out once again for regime change? Yes, but what's strange is now Biden is contradicting Biden because there's a new op-ed that he wrote in the New York Times where he says we're not seeking regime change. So now Biden basically is smothering himself. Oh my God, that's auto-smothering. That's illegal in some states. <laughs> wow. So there's more. The article also says... Biden has vented to aides about not getting credit from Americans or the news media for actions he believes have helped the country, particularly on the economy. Unemployment rates have dropped to below 4% pre-pandemic levels, but polling indicates most Americans believe the economy is in bad shape. Geez, I wonder why. They're being fed right-wing talking points. That's right. It's all right-wing yeah. talking points. That's right. So higher gas prices, you know, low wages. 
a tough job market. That's all Republican talking points. Yeah. Biden grouses that Republicans aren't getting their fair share of the blame for legislative gridlock in Congress, while he's repeatedly faulted for not getting his agenda passed. The president is also told aides he doesn't think enough Democrats go on television to defend him. A particular sore spot is his slumping poll numbers. He's mystified that his approval rating has dropped to a level approaching that of his predecessor, Donald Trump, ranked by historians as one of the worst presidents in history. I love the part where he's mad that he's faulted for not getting his agenda passed when his party controls both houses of yeah. Congress. So who does, who does he want to fault? Is it, right. you want to blame Joe Manchin and cinema? Yeah, and he literally ran on being able to get stuff done. Like that was his shtick, right? Bernie was the socialist who had nice ideas, who couldn't ever get anything done. Biden was the guy who was going to get things done. Turns out he's the guy who can't get things done. Yeah, he also was the guy who was not going to shut down the economy, but shut down the pandemic. Right. That didn't really happen until Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. That really kind of shut down the pandemic. But so I guess Biden could get some credit there. But yeah, 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 he's now he's ranked. He now he's approaching Trump's levels of uh, approval, his low levels of approval. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to not be satisfied with. And it's just it's amazing that he's blaming everyone but himself. We have to we as voters need to we got to do our part and make Joe Biden great again. All right. So that's uh, another reason. Another week for Democrats suck. Another reason. Another example. Democrats suck. For Republicans suck. We have a moment of suckitude and levity from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Let's just let her rip. Let's hear what this proud, brave congresswoman has to say. You have to accept the fact that the government totally wants to provide surveillance on every part of your life. They want to know when you're eating. They want to know if you're eating a cheeseburger, which is very bad because Bill Gates wants you to eat his fake meat that grows in a peach tree dish. So you'll probably get a little zap inside your body and that's saying, no, no, don't eat a real cheeseburger. You need to eat the fake, the fake burger, the fake meat from Bill Gates. Um, They probably also want to know when you go to the bathroom and if your bowel movements are are on time or consistent. I mean, what else do these people want to know? Good information from from uh, Marge. But can you play that again? Because she has an interesting uh, turn of phrase she uses. Bill Gates wants you to eat his fake meat that grows in a peach tree dish. Did you hear where that's grown? It's grown in a peach tree dish. (laughs) I'm just saying, if you're going to accuse the government of of surveilling your bowels, your bowel movements, your eating habits. Just nail it and say petri dish, not peach tree dish. <laughs> you know, Katie, I'm going to push back a little bit. And Uh-oh. maybe this is because of my soft spot for MTG because she voted no on the Ukraine proxy war right. bill, $40 billion, most of it for the weapons industry for the Ukraine proxy war, whereas every single Democrat voted for it. Maybe I'm just biased by that. But look, First of all, she's from Georgia. Georgia is the peach state. You You're know? right. So maybe she's just uh, being influenced by by her roots. And, you know, I misspeak sometimes. And I, I find that kind of, I find those kinds of uh, of mistakes endearing. <laughs> I think it's funny. You know, she's actually, I like that. She's actually doing good by her state. She's boosting the local economy. Mm-hmm. She's promoting Georgia peaches. There we go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So this shouldn't yeah. have been. A, this is a Republicans are awesome, not a Republican suck. Thank you, Aaron, for speaking the truth <laughs> to, to power, to the vast left wing conspiracy against uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Picking MTG. On her. MTG. Yeah. All right. So for isn't that weird? We have something that is going to make 
all you vegans out there really question your lifestyle choices. Just as Marjorie Taylor Greene is rightfully concerned that uh, Bill Gates wants us to eat fake meat. Luckily, we in this country, we have the opportunity to, to eat real meat, such as tractor trailer crash sends 15,000 pounds of hot dog filler onto Pennsylvania Highway. And there it is. There it is, everybody. Look at that. That's what we're all consuming when we have a hot dog. So if you're a vegan out there, aren't you jealous of what the meat eaters or the yeah, well, filler eaters get to eat? That that looks like that was grown in a peach tree dish. Yes, that's definitely from a peach tree dish. Yeah. Peach tree dish is kind of a it's kind of a tough thing to say. It reminds me of remember on 30 Rock there that joke about the show called The Rural Juror. Remember that? I you know, I know I didn't watch that much 30 Rock and I didn't see enough. Oh yeah, so 30 Rock had this joke where some, like a cast member is cast on the show called the Rural Juror. It's hard to say. Rural and peach tree yeah, dish is, is kind of peach tree dish, yeah. yeah. Well, luckily most people don't usually have to say it. That's true. But uh we're but she's bringing up we're gonna bring it back. Absolutely. I mean, by back, I mean, bring it into existence. It's becoming a thing, the peach tree dish. Yeah. Yeah. And bring back also hot dog filler because uh, it took a big hit with that 15,000 pounds spill yeah. in Pennsylvania. So hopefully there's another supply out there. Yeah, we got to get that. Yeah, this would be a good, uh, this is great PR for the vegan movement, by the way. I wouldn't be surprised if the vegan movement actually left something in the road, like a banana peel or something mm. to cause that crash. Mm. Because it looks so unappealing. I mean, I don't eat red meat. I don't eat hot dogs. But if I did, I wouldn't want to look at that. Um, well, for isn't that terrible? I have a story that has a kind of happy ending, but it could have easily been terrible. And it's it's terrible for a couple of reasons. Let's just watch the video. This grandfather from Australia had to go one-on-one -on -one with the kangaroo who attacked him in his front yard. Went ass up. <laughs> and then he jumped on, on me back. And uh, was just fortunate enough that there was a stick there where I landed. He told Rebecca Powell from 10 News First he not only had to keep himself safe, but also his dogs. Took him to the ground and uh, was fortunate that I did because he would have, you know, opened me up like a, an envelope. So, yeah, I wrestled him on the ground for five minutes. The 59-year-old battled the almost six-foot-tall animal for several minutes, but luckily escaped without serious injury. He gouged top of my head and he, he bit me on the finger and cut me down the arm and ripped me jacket off. This wildlife expert says the attack could have been worse. He was extremely lucky because they are very powerful. Um, and those hind legs, if it had, it had reached forwards and, and kicked a couple more times, it might have got him somewhere where it could do some real damage. He adds that if someone is ever in this situation, the best thing to do is be smart and passive. If you've got a kangaroo that's looking a bit aggressive towards you, crouch down, back away. Don't wave your arms at it. Don't stand up tall and be macho because you're likely to come unstuck. For Inside Edition Digital, I'm Andrea Swindle. So that was just terrible for so many reasons. I mean, it's a happy ending. The man is safe. The dogs are safe, but he didn't have to provoke the kangaroo. He, no, he could didn't. have engage in nonviolent resistance mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. crouch down and not been macho like that guy said and uh really this is not a good moment this is bad propaganda it's anti-kangaroo propaganda it shows the kangaroo as a violent creature mm -hmm. now i don't know maybe they would have opened him up like an envelope as he as he worried and and to be fair an ostrich did uh do something 
close to that to Johnny Cash. Uh, so really? it can happen, yeah. With Johnny this, Cash was attacked by an ostrich, yeah. Really? Cut him down the middle, wow. yeah. But I mean, ostriches are pretty ugly, so that doesn't surprise me that much. What's this is just a jarring experience, I guess, for me because kangaroos are are sympathetic characters. They're they're dealing with a lot in Australia, a lot of fires, a lot of adversity, and then it's kind of the, this cognitive dissonance. Now I see a kangaroo who's kind of the bad guy, but I don't know. Maybe maybe the guy is the bad guy. Maybe the guy was infringing on on his on his property, which is the natural earth. I don't know. Or I Katie, just, you know, what if kangaroo? What if this really is the kangaroo's true nature, and this portrayal of the gentle kangaroo is really just kangaroo propaganda? It could be, and I've been duped by it. So mm -hmm. in that, so it's terrible in so many ways because either it's terrible because this is what kangaroos are really like, and it's a terrible awakening for me because I realize how duped I am by. I like to think I see through mainstream media and propaganda, but I've been I've been duped by by big by big roo, big roo propaganda and the big roo lobby yep. um or it's terrible because this is not the real nature of kangaroos i don't know i mean i think that maybe it's an australian thing because i think koalas are kind of assholes too even mm. though they look so adorable mm -hmm. so maybe i wonder if australians are like that too as people they do look like this. a good time i'll say this there go my future plans for australia i'm, I'm never setting foot there yeah seriously. i can't i can't risk kangaroo rage yeah, kangaroo rage. Yeah, especially, I mean, Aaron, you've talked about this yourself. You're maybe if you had a, another foot or, or two in height. <laughs> but it's that much more dangerous for you. That's true. I, I'm at risk. I'm at, at risk. From the That's yeah. right. Yes. Yes, I'm at risk. <laughs> I, you'd be good for a koala. I mean, you're taller than koalas. That's you'd right. Be but I think that they have claws. I don't know. We're going to have to do a deep dive on this. We're going to have to do a deep dive on on Australian animals and see, see where they see what's up with them. The wombat. What's up with that? Well, it rhymes. Yeah. Terrible for many reasons. We're going to find out over the course of our, we're going to do a deep dive starting next week. This, this show is shifting uh, focus foci. We're going to become a, an Australian wildlife focused podcast. Great new rebrand. It's a great, yeah, great new rebrand. Yeah. We're so excited to bring back to the show Ali Abunima. He is the co-founder of the Electronic Intifada and author of The Battle for Justice in Palestine, now out from Haymarket Books. He's also the author of One Country, A Bold Proposal to End the Israeli-Palestinian Impasse. All right, let's go to Ali Abunima. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to talk to you. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Israeli occupation of Palestine, but one of the most important stories uh, that we want to talk to you about was the, of course, the killing of Shireen Abu Akleh. If you could update people on where we are in that investigation. Thanks both to both of you, uh, Katie and uh, Aaron, for having me back. I mean, the first thing to say is there is no investigation as far as Israel is concerned and as far as the United States is concerned. The United States, uh, Shirin Abu Akleh, who was uh, killed in cold blood by a sniper on uh, May 11th, was an American. Uh, she's Palestinian first, but she was also an American citizen. And as such, you would expect the US government to take an interest in her murder. And instead, what happened uh, as soon as she was killed was that State Department 
Ned Price, uh, State Department spokesman Ned Price said, Israel is perfectly capable of investigating itself. And Israel went through the motions of its usual self-investigation and within a few days decided that there was going to be no criminal investigation and uh, case closed. Uh, all the evidence, and, and the reason we can assume that happened is that all the evidence, uh, which Israel is not even denying at this point, is that Israel did it. I'm almost certain that Israel knows exactly which of its soldiers killed Shirin Abu Akleh, that they know which weapon was fired, and they almost certainly have video of it because the, the uh, Israeli soldiers typically now wear body cams. And uh, Israel had in fact released some body cam image from Jenin uh, from that day, uh, the town in the West Bank where she was killed, in order to, to try to frame the Palestinians. Uh, and that was Israel's uh, original uh, strategy was to frame the Palestinians, to claim that the Palestinians did it. Uh, it's a, it's a well-worn propaganda strategy. But it completely fell apart within hours because uh, people on the ground were able to debunk the footage which Israel released and show that uh, the place where Israel says Palestinians were firing guns was nowhere near the place where Shirin Abu Akleh was killed. There was no possible way. Uh, it would, would have been physically impossible for a Palestinian to, to have done it. But long story short, uh, Israel did one of its usual whitewashes uh, and closed the book. The question, though, is will that be the end of the story? Because the Palestinian Authority has formally did carry out a formal investigation. They uh, have the bullet which killed her, which they identified as a uh, 5.56 millimeter bullet of the kind the Israeli army uses. And they have turned the file over to the International Criminal Court. The, the problem there is that the ICC just uh, has not taken at all seriously the uh, investigation uh, related to Israel's violation of Palestinian rights. And what was she covering? What was Shireen covering? Because often uh, we hear of these tragic stories that are very dramatic that include uh, you know, the mur murder but then we have in the background is this much more kind of mundane systemic violence against Palestinians. So what was happening in Janine that she was covering in the first place? Right. Well, there was an Israeli force in Janine that was probably there on an operation to um, detain or kill a wanted Palestinian. And there had been Israeli operations in Janine uh, actually for weeks and months because Janine remains a center of armed resistance in the West Bank. Uh, Israel and its allies in the Palestinian Authority have done their best to disarm Palestinian resistance in the West Bank, organized Palestinian resistance. And uh, Jenin has been uh, a place where both the Palestinian Authority and Israel have um, failed to achieve that goal. Uh, and recently, there have been a number of uh, sort of uh, what you'd call lone wolf attacks by Palestinians uh, carrying out knife attacks or shooting attacks within Israel. And uh, at least one or two of those alleged attackers came from the Janine area. Uh, also, several of the, uh, you'll remember the Palestinian prisoners who escaped from Israeli 
prison last September. Uh, several of them were also from the uh, Jenin area. Most famously, Zekaria Zubaydi, who, um, whose brother Israel killed uh, as well uh, in, in, uh, as a result of one of these recent attacks. And an, another brother, I believe, is uh, detained uh, by Israel. So they have been trying to break resistance in Jenin. The videos show, because the, Israel claims at first that, you know, oh, she was killed in the crossfire. That's always the Israeli line, as crossfire, fog of war. Uh, we can't tell what happened. But all the video that did come out shows that the scene was completely calm. At that time, there was no uh, shooting between Israeli invaders and Palestinian defenders. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's a burst of gunfire and, and then another one. And uh, Shireen Abu Akhle is is killed. So it seems to have been a quite deliberate killing. She, of course, was wearing uh, a press, clearly marked press vest and helmet. Of course, we, we don't know the motive of the killer. There's every reason, all the, all the evidence is that it was deliberate. I think the open question is whether they knew it was Shireen Abu Akhle or whether the, 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 the shooter just wanted to kill a journalist because we saw in 2018, during the Great March of Return protests in Gaza, Israel targeting and killing two journalists, Yasser Murtaja and Abu Hussein is his last name, but just his first name slipped my mind at this moment. Both were targeted and killed in Gaza with no consequences. And so uh, Israeli soldiers know that they can kill journalists and there will be no consequences for them or for the state of Israel. Notably, just a few weeks before Shirina Ba'atle was killed, the International Federation of Journalists had submitted a detailed complaint to the International Criminal Court, uh, you know, an affidavit of, I'm not sure what the technical legal term is, but they'd submitted that, that to the ICC regarding the deliberate targeted killing of two journalists in Gaza and the uh, deliberate targeting and maiming of, of uh, two other journalists. And uh, that complaint has now subsequently been amended to include the killing of uh, Shirin Abu Akhle as well. So all of these, you know, Palestinians do what they're supposed to do uh, in terms of pursuing justice, but uh, it's a dead end if the United States is, I mean, you can just imagine the analogy, which is that, in fact, you don't need to imagine it. When um, a, an American photojournalist was killed in Ukraine uh, right. early on during the Russian invasion, the State Brent Department Renault. immediately declared, I think it, his name was Brent, uh, Brent Renault. Renault, I think, the, the State Department immediately described it as a, you know, a deliberate killing and atrocity by Russia. There was no demand for Russia to investigate. You know, that would be the equivalent is, is if the U.S. says, well, we, we, we want Russia to carry out a thorough and impartial investigation. Of course, the U.S. would never do that. But that's exactly what they do when Israel kills Palestinians. They ask Israel to investigate itself. And the uh, results are completely predictable. And also, I have to say, in the case of Brent Renault, it's actually not even clear that Russia killed him. Information on that has not really come out. They won't, they won't say who did it, which says to me that it might not have been Russia. 
But well, um, and, the, and the interesting thing, Aaron, is because after the killing of Sharina Barclay, I went back and, and looked at what happened with Brent Renault. You know, the sort of the mainstream name brand, you know, one of these Reporters Without Borders or CPJ or one of these journalist groups, I think it was Reporters Without Borders, but they were saying at the time that all the governments and uh, media were just directly blaming Russia. They were saying that it was in an unclear circumstances. So, you know, the international mainstream reputable journalism groups weren't blaming Russia. They were saying, you know, it could have been Russia, but we don't, we don't know because it's unclear. The governments were, were jumping to that conclusion. Of course, the media was just going along with it. Let me ask you to um, tell us more about Shireen Abu Akhla, who she was and, and what she meant to Palestinians around the world. You know, it's sort of hard to describe. She was just such a fixture. She was someone who you didn't think of necessarily. You know, she was, she, she, she was a brilliant journalist. She was highly respected. She was certainly courageous. And she was just, you know, you took her for granted when things were happening in Palestine. You took it for granted that she would bring the story. She would be there. She would go there. And, and for a generation, I mean, she started working at Al Jazeera in 1997 at the age of 25 or 26. So she spent half her life half her whole life, not even half her working life, half her whole life working for Al Jazeera and becoming really a household name and face and a trusted name and face, not just to um, Palestinians, but uh, you know, to, to tens of millions or perhaps hundreds of millions of people across the Arab world who watch Al Jazeera. And you know, I'm not sure what the American equivalent would be. I mean, someone like, I mean, now I know that people don't even know what uh, broadcast news is these days, and nor should they, but it would be, it'd be something like, you know, someone as familiar and well-known as Peter Jennings, uh, maybe for our generation. I, I, I think uh, uh, younger, younger people might not even know who Peter Jennings is. So it was just an unbelievable shock and a sense that you know, if they can kill Shireen Abu Akhla with imp total impunity, uh, no consequences, you know, a couple of days of bad headlines, some hand-wringing from the State Department, and then it's back to business as usual, then literally nobody is safe. Israel can kill any Palestinian at any time, doesn't matter how famous they are, uh, it doesn't matter if they're Muslim, if they're Christian, if they're a man, if they're a woman, if they have American citizenship. Nothing will protect you from Israel if you're a Palestinian. And that's the message that, uh, whether intended or not, uh, Israel drove home with the killing of Shireen Abu Akhla. And uh, what's scary also is that this is not the only uh, killing that will not be investigated we as we know and as you wrote about there was another person uh a palestinian american omar assad who was killed by israel uh his family is demanding an investigation what is the status of that investigation right well the first thing to say is that the in uh, in 
in virtually no cases. I mean, we're talking about, you know, an infinitesimal number of cases when Israel kills Palestinians. Is there any kind of investigation? You know, mostly there's no investigation uh, at all. And then when there is an investigation, what you have to know is that Israel's self-investigation system is designed to whitewash the killing of Palestinians. It's not designed to investigate them. And uh, the Israeli human rights group B'Tselem in 2016 announced that after 25 years of going along with the system, they would no longer cooperate with it. They said, we have spent 25 years uh, submitting complaints on behalf of Palestinians for maiming, for killing, for injuring, for destruction of property. And the system is, they called it a fig leaf. And it's designed really to, to whitewash Israel's crimes. It never leads to accountability. The only cases where there is sometimes an indictment leading to a trial are the vanishingly small number of cases that reach an international spotlight. Uh, you know, in the past couple of years, I can think of, you know, a tiny handful, the killing of the Palestinian teenager Muhammad Abu Khader in Jerusalem in 2014, uh, for example. In 2016, uh, an Israeli army medic murdered a Palestinian in cold blood on video, like a, an injured Palestinian lying on the ground in Hebron and just like took his gun at point blank range and executed him. A medic, someone whose job is to provide first aid, did it on video. He became a national hero, uh, but it was such an international outrage that Israel put him on trial. He was sentenced to, uh, I think it was 14 months in prison, and that was then reduced to eight months. So that's the norm. So that's to give you the context that if we're even hearing about, you know, talk of an investigation of Shirin Abu Akleh or Omar Asad, it's because they, they happen to be Palestinian Americans. And, and so there's a little bit more attention. Omar Asad was a 78-year-old Palestinian American. He'd lived 40 years raised a family in Milwaukee, running grocery stores. 10 years ago, uh, him and his wife decided to move back to the West Bank to his native village called Jiljilia. They built a house and he was going home from a relative's house one night this past January when Israeli soldiers randomly stopped him. This uh, almost 80 year old man with 17 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren, uh, uh, five adult children, 17 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, uh, a beloved grandfather, a beloved great-grandfather. They pulled him out of his car in the middle of the night. They uh, uh, tied his hands behind his back. They blindfolded him. They gagged him. They dragged him and frog-marched him to a construction site. Uh, they abused him. There were uh, his autopsy found that there were uh, all sorts of marks of abuse on his body, and then they left him dead. At first, the Israelis, as they do in every case, as they did with Shirin Abu Akleh, 
they lie about it. So the first public statement when after he was found, this this almost eight year old man, they said, oh, yeah, we, we yeah, we detained a man. He was uncooperative, but then we let him go. What they mean by we let him go is we left him lying dead on the side of the road. The U.S., of course, same State Department spokesperson, Ned Price, uh, said, oh, we want Israel to do a thorough investigation. Israel uh, did a self-investigation, took them a week, by the way. That's long for Israel's self-investigations. Took a, they took a whole week, uh, and they uh, lightly disciplined three officers. Uh, two were just, you know, one was given, I think, yeah, two were... Uh, told they couldn't hold command positions for two years, and one was given a reprimand. That, that was it. And that was only because the State Department had, had spoken about it. So, it, of course, no investigation, no criminal charges. And so his family, through the uh, uh, civil rights attorney, Stanley Cohen, um, he's, he's uh, quite a character, if you follow him on, on Twitter, uh, I think he's at Stanley Cohen Law. Uh, but through uh, Stanley Cohen, the family wrote a very moving letter to Merrick Garland, the attorney general, demanding an investigation. And just one line from it that I quoted in the story uh, that I wrote for the Electronic Intifada, a United States citizen demands justice from his grave. And... Uh, that, and what this, the family is saying is, look, you know, the U.S. is sending uh, teams of FBI forensic experts and investigators to uh, Ukraine to help uh, the ICC collect evidence of war crimes in Ukraine. The European Union and Canada and other countries are doing the same. But, but you won't send any, anyone to investigate the killing of American citizens like Omar Azhad like Shirin Abu Akleh, like 16-year-old uh, Mahmoud Sha'lan, a, a, a Palestinian-American teenager shot dead in the streets of occupied East Jerusalem in 2016, a U.S. citizen. Again, uh, the U.S. said, oh, there has to be an investigation. Nothing has happened. This is one of the most closely CCTV monitored places in the world, East Jerusalem. And Israel has refused to this day to release the CCTV, the CCTV, I always get caught on that, the CCTV you get footage. get caught on CCTV footage, uh-huh. Yeah, of the killing of uh, Palestinian-American teenager Mahmoud Sha'lan. And remember, the, the Israelis will release, it'll take them five minutes to release a video that they claim uh, frames the Palestinians for killing Shirin Abu Akleh, but they know what's in these videos of Palestinian-American uh, uh, teenager Mahmoud Shalan. That's why they won't release them. But the U.S. government is fine with that. And uh, this is why these killings uh, uh, continue with complete impunity. Well, Ali, I want to ask you what it's like as a Palestinian to watch the Western response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and seeing this parade of Western leaders talk about supporting a people's right to resist foreign tyranny and um, how awful it is for foreign countries to seize the sovereign territory of another people. So I'm just curious your reaction to seeing that, the disparity between how the Biden administration talks about rights of Ukrainians 
and how those same rights that they claim to defend don't exist for Palestinians and Syrians as well, whose land has been stolen by Israel for many decades now. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great. Great to hear from Ali and get an update on what's going on. It's so easy for Palestine to get overshadowed by all the other crises in the world, but this is the crisis that it's always been. And it continues with, it could not continue without the critical support of the US government. So always important to hear what's going on and what can be done to to counter it. He does great work. Electronic Intifada does great work. So thank you again. Thanks to everyone who came and uh, watched the show, listened to the show. Thanks for your support. Couldn't do it without you. And to support us, if you're not already, you can go to usefulidiots.substack.com where you be a part of the Useful Idiots community and get bonus content. All right, see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hello, thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. 